Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Cleaver, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. I release new episodes every second Monday. If you subscribe to the show wherever you like to get your podcasts, you will automatically remain updated. If you want to be in touch, you can find me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver. You can like the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook and message me through that. Or you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. This show will always be free to download and listen to, but there is a Patreon page that you could go to to support me with some of your hard-earned cash. Donations can be made on a monthly or one-off basis, and even the smallest amount is really helpful. So go to patreon.com slash soundofmoment if you would like to help me in that way. And thank you so much to those of you who already do that. This is episode number 37 for the 1st of April 2019. Pianist Franz von Schossi is my guest, and he just released a new trio record called Life Theatre. Before we get to our conversation, here is a track from that record entitled Cyclic Serpent.
Composer Franz von Trossi is my guest on the show today. Franz, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Pat. Um, I always like to begin by asking my guests to introduce themselves a bit, tell people a bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do, all that 
general kind of stuff? Well, uh, my name is Franz von Schossi. I'm a pianist. Uh, I was born in Munich and uh, I moved to Amsterdam when I was 19. And yeah, now it's a bit complicated at the moment. I'm in between uh, China and Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I'm composing. I have uh, three CDs of my own. The fourth one has just been released. Yeah. And um, yeah, I do different stuff. Yeah, yeah. cool. And I, I guess we'll, we'll get to all of that different stuff, but... Um, I think the first, before we get to the new record, um, I feel like there's kind of a preparatory question regarding it, which is that for a long while you moved away from the piano trio and you had a quintet. Um, well, first of all, could you speak a bit about the, the quintet itself, where the idea for that came from? Um, it's, uh, I had Alex Seymour on the show fairly mm -hmm. recently um, and I think he, he did kind of a similar thing where he made a quintet without bass and obviously you're in that, that band and... Uh, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, could, could you speak a bit to the to the idea of the quintet and more like the the, the compositional approach that you had there? And, and mm -hmm. Yeah, actually in the end of my um, second piano trio, trio recording, Pendulum, when I was listening back uh, to the CD, I felt like um, all these layers of sounds, um, it would be great to add uh, strings at certain points or uh, some other instruments which have more like uh, the ability to play long notes, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, with the piano, obviously, you don't have. Yeah. Um, so I just uh, thought about um, doing that with a bigger ensemble. First I thought with uh, like a classic, like a string quartet adding to the jazz piano trio. Yeah. Um, but uh, the compositional ideas I had were more uh yeah like mixing the instruments not like two separate entities but more like one band of um yeah piano actually in the beginning i didn't even think about drums i thought maybe about uh, electronics mm -hmm. uh, so it took a while um until i reached this uh, quintet which is basically a compromise of uh having a small band but um trying to imitate also orchestral sounds. Like when you have two string players, when they play double sp uh, stops, mm -hmm. you can have have, have them uh, sound like a string quartet. Yeah, you get a <laughs> twice as cheap string quartet. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it has to be possible to tour also with them. Yeah. Uh, that later on turned out to be very complicated because they were all very busy. But still, um, so that was the idea with the quintet uh and then in the end of the and in the i think in the quintet i uh showcased myself more as a composer and i was in the back most of the time not playing like the main melodies and stuff mm -hmm. and i really enjoyed that um but then after some years yeah i just felt the need again to showcase the piano a bit more because i love the instrument it's uh such a <clears throat> versatile uh, instrument, you, and you can imitate everything on it. Um, so then I just, uh, the new composition I had in my mind were, they really just fit the jazz, mm -hmm. uh, the trio. Yeah. Trio. 
whenever I speak to pianists about uh, about the piano trio and and just the idea of the piano trio, I always like to kind of uh, address that a bit. Like, it is such a tried and true format that I suppose obviously there's a reason for that, which is that it it's uh, piano, bass, and drums is kind of this perfect combination. And I know for my purposes, I play in a million piano trios, so that's um, that's I have a, a real love for that as well. But I'm always interested in how. As the leader of a piano trio, how do you feel about that kind of rich history that there is there? And how do you feel about, like, do you feel like you need to bring something new to the piano trio? Do you know whether you have something new to bring to the piano trio? Or what is your, how do you feel about that? Well, <clears throat> every organizer tells you not to start a new piano trio. Yeah, that's so the thing, right? Booking <laughs> gigs for a piano trio is, is tough. <laughs> but <clears throat> in a way, it's uh, for me the the golden combination. <clears throat> you, I mean, first of all, you have three people I really love that number mm-hmm. in a band. Like, uh, there's so many combinations of things uh, which can happen. You can play with two and the other one is a bit out or with the three uh, talking to each other at the same time or, yeah. With three, everything is still... You can easily uh, see what's happening if you have four or five it sometimes gets complicated in a way mm-hmm. but three is like the, the ideal number in a way and then um, the instruments really go very well together and I think I didn't I never think about I have to add something new to the traditional or I have to come up with something which hasn't been there before uh, I just have songs or compositions in my mind and I try to see what, which format fits and uh, lately it turned out to be the piano trio and I, I think we have something of our own but yeah, that's for others to decide I guess <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, I think so, I'm just always interested in like figuring out what it is that that might be, I mean I know um for one thing, I feel like your approach to the instrument is, if not unique, at least fairly unusual in the sense that, um, like, I feel like there's a very contrapuntal uh, nature to the way you play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's something you would agree with or if it's something that you can discuss a bit. I don't know if there's actual, like, classical music uh, involved there as, a, as an influence or what. For sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Bach uh, is uh, my god. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, lately, again, I keep listening to him. It's, uh, uh, I mean, not to him, but uh, to yeah players playing Bach. And um, <clears throat> I I study a lot of uh, yeah kind of contrapuntal uh, uh, music, and um, I love the way that uh, at a piano with I mean you have two hands and. Uh, there's so many nice things you can do in the lower register of a piano uh, as well. And uh, yeah, I, I like also, I think after the quintet that it really inspired me to combine different textures, layers, uh, but then try to do it within uh, one instrument. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of kind of, um, I try to train my two hands to be really independent from each other. And uh, one of the techniques are is involving the uh, contrapuntal yeah uh, stuff uh so i work a lot on on that yeah um yeah, and yeah. i i wonder how that that works in 
like improvisation because that's that's where I feel like there's a there's a next step. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say next step from Bach, but probably not because I suppose he probably improvised in that way. Yeah. Uh, but um, I wonder how there's training your hands and then there's training your mind, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. like what what kind of a like how do you approach that? I feel like we're we're so used to um, to the idea of like post bebop playing where it's like okay well you've got these lines and then maybe you'll play some like voicings in the left hand but like that's obviously i suppose maybe brad meldo kind of exploded that to a certain extent yeah. um yeah. Yeah. but uh yeah i don't know if what i'm saying makes any sense no no definitely uh i realized in the beginning um and that counts probably for most uh pianists they are concentrated on their right hand more than on the left hand, even though I'm left-handed. I had problems, for example, like singing along with the right hand is uh, very natural to do as a jazz pianist. But with the left hand, which is usually playing chords, it doesn't doesn't come very natural. So I did some, yeah, with Bach, you can just learn to play, I don't know, like a very simple... uh, fugue and try to sing along with the left hand while playing the right hand. So that makes your mind also getting used to focus on your left hand while still being uh, uh, playing something in the right hand. And then I also noticed you, I think the brain cannot really 100% uh, focus like on two melodies at the very same time. Mm-hmm. You always concentrate on one, the other kind of does its thing, but it's more on an autopilot, even though that sounds very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also as a listener, you always concentrate on one line while the others, other lines are doing something. They influence each other, but your brain actually f- always focuses on one. It can be in a split second move between different lines, but I think uh, the focus is always on one line. So when I play contrapuntural, Mostly the two lines are not playing at the very same moment, but they are kind of filling each other's gaps. Yeah, okay. So that's a way to make it sound uh, contrapuntural, but actually it's uh, just filling up gaps of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's that's very fun thing to do on the yeah. piano. It's kind of like becomes a sort of mental juggling kind of thing of mm-hmm. like left, right, left, right, left, right. Um, that's quite cool. I know, I mean, for the closest experience that I have to that is the idea of like singing and playing at the same time. Like I've done a bunch of that stuff and mm-hmm. it's, it always feels like you have to train yourself. You have to pick which of the things you're going to need to focus on most. Yeah. And depending on what what the content is, then you may. And indeed, it's sometimes a matter of like, okay, this happens and then that other thing happens and then this other thing happens. And it, mm-hmm. it becomes just one thing, but it's actually two things right yeah it's it sounds like two things and uh, it helps if you some uh, play something in your left hand which just continues in the same kind of pattern so that you can put on auto yeah. i don't know loop yeah sure <laughs> and then the right hand does something else or the other way around yeah there's some techniques yeah um regarding your your playing and I suppose also your composing. There's another thing I want to I want to discuss, which is um, for years now you've played in this band Arifa, mm-hmm. um, which we also vaguely touched on with with Alex, uh, and that is kind of like a uh, more of a world music thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I hear quite a bit of 
world music stuff um, in the way you play and also in the way you compose, um, whether it's like rhythmic stuff from the Balkans. I hear a lot of that like short, long beat kind of concept in, in a lot of your music mm-hmm. or whether it's in the actual like melodic uh, playing with like uh, more kind of ornamental things and that kind of stuff. I don't know if there's any like conscious stuff that you can discuss regarding um, that aspect of things. Uh, yeah, well, I was, um, when I moved to the Netherlands, I got in touch, I mean, I got to know a lot of musicians from East European countries. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the great thing in Amsterdam, I think, that there's uh, it's a big pool of international musicians. And um, I've, yeah, I've, I just found it very inspiring. I spend a lot of time also in um, Bulgaria and um got the opportunity to play with uh, Teodosi Spasov on Kaval mm-hmm. and yeah, some other musicians. I mean, Alex obviously uh, influenced me also a lot. It's, um, yeah, it's a very rich uh, music tradition in these countries, uh, in the traditional music. And um, yeah, you can get a lot out of it. As a pianist, you usually play one note I mean, you're more busy with lines rather than uh, focusing on one note because it's just uh, pressing or not pressing. But with ornaments, you can you can tell a whole story just with one note. So that always inspired me. Mm. Uh, on the piano, it's not so easy. Some things are not possible, but you can fake your way through it. A bit. Yeah, I suppose that's kind of an interesting point, right, is that the piano is not necessarily an instrument that is present in a lot of those forms of music. Um, so I, I guess, like, how do you translate those those things? Like, how do you find a vocabulary on the piano that functions within that music, even though there's no, not necessarily any piano to be, like... Yeah, well, um, it helps for me sometimes to sit at the piano and not think about the fact that you're playing piano right now but just think about the sound of uh, the of the instruments um, which are playing that kind of music like uh, Kaval or there's a lot of accordion of course so there, yeah. there you can translate some stuff but also it sounds much different on a piano um, so it's it's a matter of finding your own way how to translate this into the piano um but yeah, it's not. Uh, it doesn't come very natural on the piano. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a long process. I'm still the, uh, uh, working on it. Yeah, but so is that? Um, I mean, are the those influences that I hear in like your composing for the trio, for example, is that something that's like somewhat conscious for you, or is it just you've digested so much of this stuff that it's just what comes out? I think it is conscious. Uh, maybe not in the initial idea of a composition for me, or maybe sometimes it it really depends on the composition. But sometimes I really notice, okay, this harmony or this melody uh, it sounds a bit like I don't know. It could be from the Bulgarian voices, uh, like a mm-hmm. uh, slow melody or something. Um, but it's not like I sit down and I try to write in the style of uh, Bulgarian voices, but it's more like I have a melody in mind or a harmony and then I I hear 
that actually it's it's going into that direction. Mm. And yeah, that's that's totally fine, I think. Yeah. yeah. But so what um what does the actual compositional process look like for you? Is it like a very varied thing? Or I always like to ask people if they compose at the piano, but for pianists it seems like an obvious starting point. Um, yeah, yeah. Usually it's the piano. Usually it's um playing around at the piano and then there's one idea where I think, okay, let's record this and then see in a few days if it actually sounds as good as I think it sounds <laughs> at that moment because many many times it doesn't sound so good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, the initial idea usually comes at the piano. There, uh, there are also exceptions. Actually, that's the nice thing I think about... Uh, composing at least for me that every composition has its own life so uh it uh, some compositions take years to evolve some uh, compositions are already in in one day uh and sometimes i have the feeling for every new composition i have to learn how to compose again because mm. it's just uh it follows a different order or different rules and some things work in one compositions when they don't work in other compositions so uh that's uh, it's very fascinating but it's also it takes so much time sometimes for compositions to get ready uh, so usually it's one idea and then it takes a few days to digest uh, in my head if i should keep working on it and then um yeah I, I think I'm a really intuitive composer to some extent. And uh, when when there's a problem in the composition, then I have to use more brain work or more mm. take the paper out. And, uh, yeah. But usually I try to do everything just on the piano, uh, keep remembering it and... Uh, yeah, but so is there like a is there like a discipline there in terms of... I'm, I'm always interested in like how is it... Um, is there a sense of, okay, I need a new trio repertoire or is it a sense of, hey, over the past however many time, like however much time a trio repertoire has kind of appeared? Um, is there like, uh, what is the balance there? Is it a, a, a kind of every day I'm going to go to the piano and sit down for a while and write stuff and then if things come out cool, if not, so be it? Or is it just whenever the ideas come, then it, it happens? Yeah, for the for my own albums, it was always like that. Whenever I, an idea comes uh, comes across, then I work on it. It was I was never putting myself uh, deadlines or something. Mm -hmm. Whenever composition uh, like a commission, then it's a different thing. Uh, you say commission, right? Yeah, commission. Um, then I have to be more uh, strict with myself and have a, like a plan. Uh, okay, four hours a day I work on this. Mm -hmm. And that's also a great thing to do, but I think for my uh, own stuff, uh, I wanted more organic, like give the composition the time it needs to to be, get ready. And I, uh, I, uh, I don't like deadlines in that way. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, so yeah, maybe let's let's get to the actual record. Um, it uh, it had been what, nine years since the last trio record, I suppose? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's called Life Theatre. Uh, and I, I, I want to, I mean, obviously there's a few things I want to talk about uh, regarding it. But um, first of all, there's a, 
there's a specific structure to the album as far as I understood uh, also from reading um, like uh, the line notes to it. Um, maybe you can talk about that. Like what is the the thematic uh, idea? There's a certain narrative there. Mm-hmm. Uh, c- can you explain that a bit? Yeah, so uh, in the last quinted um, recording, my drummer Younger's son told me about the first piece of the CD, of the quinted CD, that uh, for a while he, he's been playing it like first day in the morning and it feels like the soundtrack to his life, how it is at that moment. <laughs> so I really uh, liked that comment. It gave me to think, um, wouldn't it be cool to have a whole CD like dedicated to life in general and see it as a soundtrack to life and uh, like uh, different pieces uh, represent different life phases. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of the idea to put pieces together which kind of can represent different life phases or characters you meet during your life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so yeah, that's the kind of the story. So the 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 order of the pieces can also represent a whole lifeline. And actually, the centerpiece of the city, uh, the wanderer, in itself represents a lifeline. Um, but yeah, that's the story, kind of, on about this album. I think like with the quintet there doesn't have to be necessarily such a story. Also, the music should work on its on itself and mm-hmm. some listeners have their own story when they yeah. listen to it. But yeah. That was kind of the idea. No, I mean, obviously the music stands um, uh, just as music, but it, it's I, I find it interesting like, that there is that that structure defined somehow. And um, this is a completely tangential thing, uh, but uh, you just became a father recently, mm-hmm. um, and congrats! Obviously, Thank you. I, I had not seen you uh, the past couple of months, so uh, uh, congrats on that. Uh, I, I I wonder how it feels to me. Like thematically, there's a clear, like very direct line there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that makes any sense, uh, I wonder if. I mean, obviously, I uh, so recently, uh, Bobby Petrov, the, the drummer for Tin Men, uh, also had a kid, and I was talking to him about that, uh, about how his complete life outlook has kind of shifted in a way that he didn't expect. And I suppose this is something that everybody talks about, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I wonder how, like, is there stuff that you can point to that, like, musically now you you feel like, I suppose, first of all, like, in to what degree is the record influenced by that event? And then also, like, do you sense that, like, in the early days of fatherhood that your music is is changing in any way? Maybe that's a very vague question. Yeah, well, since we recorded it one year ago, the my wife was pregnant, uh, but I wasn't... I think the, the, the baby itself... Uh, didn't have so much to do with the recording, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's more like I was imagining how life would be at a later stage in life, but I didn't think about how it is to be a father. Uh, I think no one can really tell you until you just do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, now I guess it's um, you're very inspired by your own baby it's uh, it's a very very it's a great thing to do 
Um, but yeah, it's just, I realize that now I realize how much time I actually had before. It's of course also, you hear oh, that yeah. always from fathers, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's true, you know, it's it's just uh, all of a sudden this baby is the most important thing in your life and uh, you have to take care of it. And it's fun, but yeah, you just realize uh, there's a lot of time not there anymore. But I suppose that that also... Uh that also must mean like the the way you approach the time that you do have must be somewhat different, right? Right. Um, uh, it's it's seriously planning, and sometimes you can also involve your baby with it, like uh, listening to music. That's the great thing. You can just do it hmm. with your kid. And uh, babies, in that sense, they're very open-minded. They can listen to anything, <laughs> really, like the most extreme stuff. My wife even doesn't like. But oh, yeah. uh, Naomi, she's uh, she's in, she's getting into it. So. Yeah, uh, I, I listen a lot to music. That's that's a good thing. Yeah, cool. Yeah, sorry, that was a bit of a sidestep, but um, <laughs> I suppose back back to the actual trio. Um, I, I mean, I I always like to ask people to talk a bit about the people that join them on their records. So mm-hmm. uh, could could you tell me a bit about the the two guys, Clemens and, and Christian? And yeah, so Clemens, uh, I've been working a lot in the past. But uh, actually, yeah, we hadn't, uh, we had a gap because of the quintet. Uh, yeah, you made a record without a bass player. Yeah, without a bass player, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, For economic reasons only. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Was, <laughs> you replaced uh, <laughs> a bass player with three strings. That's not economic. <laughs> <but it's> <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but... Um, yeah, he's been on my second CD uh, and he's he's a guy who can, in a great way, I, I think he's very open-minded as a musician <laughs> and he actually studied classical music. So he's very, uh, yeah, he's a very versatile bass player and he's not a, yeah, he's, I think, uh, yeah, he's one of the most uh, musical guys I've ever met. He comes from this crazy musician's family. Yeah. Um, and he's very virtuosic, but he doesn't need to play virtuosic. He's very like every every note he's playing is kind of uh, on its uh, spot and has a reason to be there. Yeah, I feel like that his virtuosity is almost in that. It's in the like this is the one note right now, and mm-hmm. there is a virtuosity in that, right? Like yeah. the the exact sound, the exact quality of of choice that he makes. Uh, I... Yeah, and uh, Christian. I play a lot with Christian in different projects. He's mm. kind of, uh, I play in his quintet and I play in Alex uh, quintet where he's also the drummer. Yeah. Um, so we know, we've known each other for, for a long time and we've played uh, together in, uh, for a long time. And it was always um, my wish also to, for him, uh, for, to let him play my music. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's very challenging because he's so unpredictable uh, sometimes too unpredictable. <laughs> no, <I'm laughs> um, but he's uh, he's really challenging me, and he's uh, he, he always says, "Yeah, I'm not your uh, like this is not a kindergarten. I don't have to take care of you." Like uh, considering yeah. the groove or no, no the 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 time. Yeah, like he doesn't. Sometimes he really doesn't make you feel safe, but yeah. that's a good <laughs> thing, you know. You have to uh, stay awake, and um, yeah, it's it's just uh, also super musical guy. He also plays cello. He's a film uh, director. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, he's been on the show, so people will be oh, yeah. probably familiar with him. Also, because he's been featured on a whole bunch of records that have been discussed already uh, on this podcast. Mm. Uh, I so how uh, what was the actual recording like? Is it um, because there's um, obviously it's just a piano trio, but then there's also some cello overdubs that, mm-hmm. that Kishian did. Um, I feel like I heard a, a tiny bits of electronics here and there. Uh, or maybe that's just in a mixing phase that there was like a mm-hmm. reversed reverb that happened at one time. Wow, that's great uh, of you to hear. Yeah, that uh, was just in the end of the 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 wanderer. Yeah, yeah, that's just the one yeah. moment, I suppose. I don't know if that's you were sitting in the mix and you thought, oh yeah, maybe we could do this. That would be cool. But um, yeah, that was kind of the idea. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, no, that won't be happening live. Um, I think, and also the cello thing. Uh, I'm not sure if we can do it uh, live because, uh, I mean, he's the drumming cellist. Yeah, so he could do it. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, then his setup is different. Then he has to put the snare somewhere else. Yeah. And I think for these two moments, uh, for now, we're going to just keep it uh, simple. Yeah. And touring with the cello is also a nightmare. So exactly, yeah. um, mm. that's another thing. But so what? You you guys just went to the studio. Um, did you guys go to Fedoria? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, how long did you guys have? What was the process like? We had uh, th- three days, so it was pretty relaxed. Mm-hmm. We had enough time to play everything ten times. <laughs> yeah. No, <Wow>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, yeah, we had a lot of time, um, mm. and it was very. Relaxed, no, no time pressure. I mean, three days for usually, um, yeah. Usually it's two days with most of the groups. I, I go to Fattoria, yeah. But I just um, because some of the pieces were not yet at a stage. It wasn't like we had a tour before and uh, the repertoire was uh, very easy to play. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give it a like a warming up phase. So the first day we played just uh, through the whole repertoire. Um, second day again, third day again. So it was uh, more like giving concerts every day, and so it kept on uh, feeling more and more natural. Yeah. And so, how do you then, uh, like, I feel like when when you deal with, like, you joked that you had time to make ten takes of everything. I don't know that that was necessarily exactly true, but uh, like, so many people will go into the studio and they'll just do one, two takes, and then they're done. And I feel like. Uh, well, there's obviously some beauty to that, but at the same time, that simplifies the next process, which is kind of the editing phase of things, which is not literal chopping up of pieces, although obviously that's a thing that we can do now, but more the curating of which takes you decide to pick. Like, how do you how do you approach that when you've got so much material that you've gathered um, and you know that there's this kind of structure to the to the whole album? Mm-hmm. Um, what what is it about things that stick out to you that you say okay this is the take or that? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty. I think uh, it's it's, uh, it's it really depends on the piece. Some pieces were easy to just choose. Okay, this is the this is the take. Uh, I don't even need to listen to other takes. With others, um, I'm a very I think I'm very perfectionistic in this. I like. When there's a small moment here and there uh, in one take, I like to see if I can kind of put it in an, in another take. And <laughs> so it's a it's a bit of cheating here and there, but then again, it's a studio recording, which is 
anyway not the most natural uh, setup. Yeah. Um, it always will sound differently than in a concert uh, live with an audience, which is also like uh, influencing you during the performance. Um, I guess um, being in the studio, uh, I like it a lot, but usually there's some editing always necessary. And I like that process of editing. It's really, um, it's like you get to know the pieces even better and uh Yeah, you play really different afterwards. At least for me, that's the case. So you mean you've now, uh, now after making the record, now the way you approach the the music is different? Uh, yeah, definitely. Actually, um, yeah, it goes as far as that. I even changed one uh, arrangement. <laughs> not not uh, for one piece. I changed the form because while editing, I realized uh, it sounds better if I. Take a, take away some bars. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's not very. That's not very. Uh, yeah, good for some jazz critics to know. But uh, that's, I don't know. that's I mean, what happened. I feel like that has become. I don't know. I, I I see both sides of that argument because I obviously talk to people. I've spoken to people who record straight to tape and are like. That mm -hmm. was the take and we're done. And I only rent the studio for two hours. So it's, you know, whatever we do is what we did and fine. Um, and I know that, like, I really love that. But at the same time, the idea of, hey, now we have all these tools at our disposal to make a thing. And mm -hmm. it's just as much of a creative process when you're sitting behind a computer um, chopping things up and, and moving them around and we can do that now. So why why not, right? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like you say, when you're in the studio, like when you're live anyway, it's going to be a completely different thing. So mm -hmm. why pretend that the studio is the live thing? In that yeah. case, you might as well make a live recording, yeah. right? Yeah. And it really depends also on the composition. Like for some, when we have free moments, which is actually in my trio, not so much the case, but when we were with Arifa now, in the studio in February, um, there are pieces which are also very thoroughly composed and they have um, like a very defined structure. Um, I think their editing is also, uh, can really help, but for some other pieces where it's very free, um, yeah, there's really no editing uh, necessary. And yeah, it's just a matter of it depends really on the on the on the composition or on the on the on the style or yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was good enough for for Miles, then it's good enough for everyone else, right? Yes, like, sure. I think. Um, so the the um, the next, and this is obviously a super broad topic, uh, and I'm sure we can only touch on it a little bit. But um, uh, as discussed, you have recently kind of been living between here and China. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you can speak a bit to uh, what that has been like. Uh, I'm sure it's kind of quite a uh, quite a dramatic change, but I, I, I'm interested in like because I know that you've previously performed quite a bit in China before you actually like took the step of of moving there to a certain extent, and uh, I, I wonder what that yeah what that has been like. Um, yeah, it's um, it's very exciting. Uh, in the first place to be in China uh, it's a cultural shock I would say uh, and it's I love the food 
Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the most the the thing that we have experienced in the West the most out of Chinese things, right? Yeah. But um, then again in Amsterdam it's very hard to get good Chinese food. There yeah. Two places I think. Um uh for the rest it's it's very uh challenging. You have to really I think to feel really uh comfortable there you have to know the language unless mm-hmm. you want to live in the bubble of expats. Yeah. Uh which is of course possible. Um but uh for me it would be more challenging actually to uh to really integrate in a to some extent. Yeah. Um but uh it's a it's a very it's a very yeah it's such a huge country there's so many possibilities and they are very interested in uh, european culture like they call it then european jazz and it's um mm-hmm. it's a bit weird but yeah um that's uh, they are very interested and um there are lots of opportunities there there are possibilities to play in front of in in big halls, you know, and play mm-hmm. uh, your own music, which is amazing. Uh, yeah, it's not so easy to get to that point here. Um, on the other hand, it is uh, it is also quite challenging in a way that um, uh, yeah, to find yeah to I don't know. It's just uh, so different there. So. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I'm not aware of there being a scene there at all. Whereas, you know, there's a certain sense of like Korea has a scene and Japan has a scene. We're not necessarily very aware of them, but mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that uh, that we know uh, we know of them. But China has never seemed like there was certainly like nothing that was being exported necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder, like, what is the what is the reception like for for music like yours over there? Like, how do people? Is it completely alien to them, or is it? Mm, no, I, I think especially the quintet was uh, was received very well because of the beautiful melodies. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I mean they like uh, beautiful melodies and stuff to sing along to, uh, but mm. that's now. Uh, um, I think they're very open minded. I saw some like some completely free jazz concerts of some French group um, down in Shenzhen. Mm -hmm. And the audience got also, they got crazy, you know, young people with their mobile phones and uh, screaming uh, with, uh, I mean, screaming in a good way. Yeah. Um, So I think they're just very, very open-minded. They don't know so much about jazz, uh, but that has its good part also because they are very open-minded and they they are very uh yeah they are not uh, they don't know uh any traditional jazz in a way that makes them to become a jazz police you know yeah sure we have that like so many places it feels like if you want to be successful here you need to play that kind of music and if mm. you want to be success- and it's cool to think of a somewhat blank canvas uh, i suppose there yeah. yeah um i suppose i mean um you just touched upon it uh, a, a bit, but um, it does feel like like something that I feel is very present in your music, which is the idea of like melodic stuff. And um, I think like the word that I see come back the most often in press materials regarding you is melancholic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a conscious thing or if that's just like you said, because you're an intuitive composer, that's just a thing that happens. But um, 
I suppose my my question is maybe regarding the idea of like something that is conventionally pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like that's something that's kind of important to you, and I don't I don't know if that's uh, if that's something that you're conscious of, or if that you, or if it's just the natural thing that comes out. I don't know if that speaks to you at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's just um, I think the pianos sometimes asks me for these kind of sounds. I cannot, I cannot uh, help it. Mm. <laughs> I, I, but I always try to also include like a darker layer. Not always, but uh, I like to combine like uh, pretty things with, with with more rough things. Uh, especially now in the trio recording, I think I succeeded in uh, combining these two uh, contrasting layers yeah. in some of the tracks. Um, but yeah, I like uh, simplicity and sometimes, um, yeah, when you manage to write something pretty, which is not shallow, you know, it's it's not easy to do that. But when you manage, uh, that's for me, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, ability to achieve that yeah no absolutely i mean that's definitely what i hear like the sense of like there's something pretty here and at the same time there is like you say there's depth to it mm-hmm. um and it's really cool uh, is, is there more stuff you want to mention in terms of like stuff that you're busy with as a sideman stuff that you are uh stuff that people can expect in the near future i, I don't know what to... uh well in june we're gonna release this new arifa um record which yeah. is now a trio uh, with Alex Simo and uh, Shahin During on percussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the rest, um, not so much. Yeah, I, I play a lot with Ainur Dogan, a singer, and some smaller stuff. I play some solo shows, but that's in China. Yeah. Um, I suppose that yeah, that seems like a logical thing, but it didn't occur to me. Like, so um, how is that? Because I, I can imagine that uh, you show up there, you're not part of the scene, and but fortunately, you're a piano player, so you can play by yourself. Is that something that you had a lot of experience of doing before you went there, or is it something that's fairly new? And what what is that like? Like touring China by yourself must be kind of a interesting. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I never did lots of solo piano, but it's a it's a it's an amazing thing. I, I love doing it, but so far I never felt ready to really uh, get so deep into it that I would feel ready to release uh, to make a recording of myself. Yeah, sure. I also love to really play with other musicians, and I love the communication. So alone at the piano is. Uh, very frightening in a way, yeah, because <laughs> sure. it's just you. Uh, and then when you have an audience, you of course you can feel the audience, but it's still uh, you're the only one to blame if something goes wrong. <laughs> and um, but uh, I like this uh, challenge, and um, that's yeah, in China, there are also not so many good dramas, for example, to play with. Mm-hmm. So it's also, I get into solo piano because it's not, 
so easy to find. But I can imagine that there's also, uh, is it also a question of like venues and stuff? Like it, you, you talked about like big concert halls and I feel like that is the best place to see a solo piano performance and maybe the worst place to see a piano trio at times. Mm-hmm. Um, although mm-hmm. you can make everything work right, but the idea of playing solo piano in a beautiful room that's designed for all kinds of purposes, mm-hmm. whereas... You know, obviously, you're going to play Bim House now, and that's the best place to play like the kind of music that uh, that the trio represents. But mm-hmm. maybe there's a yeah, and in China, there are big concert halls. The problem is really the 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 people running these places. They don't have any experience with jazz concerts, so uh, the sound is very often a big problem. Yeah, okay. Solo piano is the easiest thing, also in that sense, because. Yeah. Especially with my quintet, I had lots of problems. Like uh, um, for them to amplify uh, certain instruments, it's very difficult. Um, but yeah, in that sense, piano uh, is a is a obvious choice for me to to go on tour with in China. Also, but yeah, I I I also want to bring the trio, of course, to China. Yeah, sure. Is that something that you expect will will happen in the nearest future, or is uh, I can yeah, imagine you're sure. very the, busy with your new family. Yeah, stuff. that's 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 the main thing at the moment. But yeah, the CD definitely will be released also in China. Okay, and then a tour will f- for sure happen. The thing in China is it's not as here where you have to plan ahead uh, one two years. In China, it's uh, it can happen within half a year that you uh, okay can wow yeah do a tour. Maybe this is a silly question, but um, you just mentioned that the CD is getting released there. Uh, are people still buying CDs in China? Because it feels like they're not here. But when you go to Korea or Japan, I feel like there's so much more of a market still for yeah, recorded music. Especially in Japan, I think uh, a CD is still a big thing. In yeah. China, I wouldn't say it's a big thing, but if you have a big, have a big concert hall, you just can sell lots of CDs. Uh, maybe many of the many of the uh, people in the audience won't even have a CD player, but they just want want you to want to meet you, sign yeah, the CD, okay. and yeah. bring it home, put it somewhere, yeah. and then they probably listen on Xiaomi or like other yeah. uh, internet uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. platforms. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I feel like we're kind of reaching the end of this conversation, and uh, I always like to end by asking my guests to recommend something for the audience to check out. Uh, it could be just about anything whether it's it can be music but it doesn't have to be uh could be movies books whatever comes to mind something mm-hmm. you found inspiring lately well since i've not read a lot in the last uh, year I'm, uh, whenever i read it's uh, chinese uh, vocabulary oh, yeah. reading so but i listen <laughs> a lot to music and um with naomi also in the mornings and i what I've found very interesting lately are some musicians from the uh, scene in Paris. There's Roberto Negro. Oh, yeah. And uh, Teo Cesaldi. They have a duo. Uh, yeah. And that's really amazingly intense music. Uh, Lila Masial. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. The singer. So um, the, uh, she has a great trio as well uh, and yeah I think there's a lot of stuff happening in France we are not aware of here but because uh, everyone is checking out New York uh, musicians or 
uh, Amsterdam-based musicians, but yeah. uh, I think there in France there's a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah, right? definitely. And mm. there's a very kind of self-sustaining scene somehow. Like exactly, yeah. Because of the whole system, I mean, it, I, I can get off on my rant on this stuff, but because of the, having grown up in France, yeah. uh, because of the system there, which encourages musicians to perform in France because... Yes. Uh, you basically get government support based on how many performances you make in officially licensed French uh, performance spaces. It is, it's an amazing opportunity for, for, for people who are making music in France to be able to actually like, live from their music. But at the same time, I don't feel like it necessarily encourages a lot of exporting of that music. Right. Um, because, you know, if you need to do 45 shows in France to be able to get the like, government support, then you need to focus on those 45 shows and then later on you can figure out what you're doing elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, but indeed, there's a lot of very cool stuff, especially happening in Paris that, uh, that people should check out. So uh, there will be, I'll be linking to some of those things uh, mm -hmm. on, on, the, uh, on the, the website. Uh, France, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having, my, uh, having me. Uh, it's a great uh, initiative. That was Franz von Chossi. I'll be playing another track from his new record in just a moment. Many thanks to my fellow members of K-Show for providing the intro and outro music. Please subscribe to this show wherever you like to get your podcasts. Leave favorable reviews and ratings if you are so inclined. That is really helpful. And if you know anybody who would like to listen to these kinds of conversations and might not be aware of the show yet, please do let them know. Word of mouth is a really good way for me to expand my listenership and hopefully spread the word about these great artists and all of their music. Go to patreon.com slash stand of the moment if you want to make a donation to help me keep the lights on and have this show up and running on a regular basis. The smallest amounts are really helpful and thank you so much to those of you who are already donating. You can reach me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver, you can like the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook, and you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. As promised, here's more music from Franz von Chossi and his trio. This piece is called Imaginary Friend. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment. <laughs>